Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. Thank you for joining me this morning as the public impeachment has begun. What a, a spectacle yesterday. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I am fueled by four hours of sleep and lots of caffeine. Holy moly, folks. I got home. It took me almost three hours to make my hour drive from from. Atlanta. I had to be up in Atlanta last night. Back to Macon. Uh, road construction and whatnot. Oh my! When they when I seventy five goes down to one lane filled with eighteen wheelers, it was a long night. Uh, but I am here. I am caffeinated. I have watched the impeachment spectacle, so you do not have to. Programming note: We will have uh, someone from the White House joining us at ten o'clock uh, to talk about impeachment. Congressman Jody Heiss uh, will stop by at eleven o'clock to talk about impeachment and i will do my best to talk about other things except out of the gate i kind of do have to talk about it uh i do we'll get to deval patrick and the other news but this is the big story of the day i feel obligated to talk about it i'm writing my syndicated column uh during commercial break because it's due at three o'clock today and i got something i gotta do so it's gotta be done during commercial break here (laughs) i know what i'm gonna write um but so i uh, I don't have any faith in the Democrats to give this a fair hearing. In fact, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is being uh, blown up by Democrats this morning for daring to say publicly the thing that is being said privately. What message, Congresswoman, will it send if Democrats don't incorporate, for example, those issues into the upcoming articles of impeachment? Well, I think many of those considerations will be taken up by the Judiciary Committee when all of um, this evidence is brought forth. So we'll see. I personally do believe that the president has engaged in flagrant violations of the Emoluments Clause. I'm concerned that we would allow this corruption to continue. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to come together as a caucus. And if it is this Ukrainian allegation that is what brings the caucus together, um, then I think we have to run with however we unify the House. And so while I believe personally that we should be pursuing an invest- and investigating quite fragrant, fragrant, flagrant abuses of the Emoluments Clause, um, even reporting as recently as, as, may, as the suspicious stops at Trump properties, even in um, congressional delegations or rather in um, foreign trips. I think that all of this is, is game for investigation, but we also need to move quite quickly because we're talking about the potential compromise of the 2020 elections. And so this is not just about something that has occurred. This is about preventing a potentially disastrous outcome from occurring next year. A potentially disastrous outcome from occurring next year uh okay so his reelection is a potentially disastrous outcome next year and so they've got to use impeachment to stop him y'all i i don't have any any um belief that there will be fairness i don't have any belief that there will be fairness in the process from the democrats I don't have really any belief that the media will be fair in its coverage. The media began talking about impeachment the day after Donald Trump was elected, not even sworn into office. They were already talking about it. I, I, I don't have faith in the media. 
So much of the media is outraged by everything the president does that, I mean, they've been broken by the president. I I, I just, you know, so I got up this morning, y'all, I I was so tired when I got up this morning and I I went in, I haven't shaved in in several days and I should have, but, and then yesterday I decided I needed to shave and the power was out. I I couldn't, I couldn't shave in the dark, slice my face this way and that. Uh, So I got up this morning and, and I went to shave and I shaved and I'm staring in the mirror Get in the shaving room. You know, I headed off to church on Sunday and my kid says, what's on your ear? It was shaving cream. Yeah, I've become one of those people who walks out the door. I'm not even 45 and I'm leaving the shaving cream on my ears. Good Lord. So I I, I shave and I'm looking at like, my goodness gracious. I've got Andy Rooney eyebrows. When, when did this happen? I got to start pulling eyebrows. I mean, it was like poison ivy growing all over. Good Lord. The Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. How about an eyebrow? It, it was crazy. And I, th- that made me start thinking of Andy Rooney. We need a crotchy old, old person on, on TV to rail on just how bad the media's becoming. And I thought, oh, I'm becoming that person. And again, I'm not even 45, but I feel like I could spend the entire show yelling about the media coverage. I mean, the media is positively salivating over the idea of getting the president, and they've been doing that for a while. There's no pretense of fairness here. They are fully in on the Democratic side. Uh, The fact that they refuse to expose the whistleblower, who has no right to anonymity, by the way, even under the whistleblower statute, he has no right to anonymity. And the media, they do not care that he coordinated with Adam Schiff's office, they, he, they, they do not care about it. They do not care that Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi suddenly flipped on impeachment and they laid the groundwork for weeks behind closed doors with the whistleblower, undoubtedly, saying that we're going to all hear from the whistleblower. And then when that comes out, suddenly, no, we don't need to hear from the whistleblower. I have no faith in this process at all. And you know what else? I don't have any faith in the president either on this. It's not a coup. I mean, that is the stupidest talking point from the Republican Party right now, and I'm sorry if that offends you. There is no coup. If there is a coup, it is the least successful coup on the planet, and, and these people are incompetent idiots, and you should be totally okay with them because they have unsuccessfully removed the president from office, and they're not going to get it through the Senate. This is not a coup. It is a constitutional process. If this is a coup, Republicans engaged in a multi-year coup of Bill Clinton and failed at that, too. Sorry for the Dr. Seuss rhyming. This isn't a coup. And that's just a dumb talking point. And it annoys me. Oh, it's a coup. They're trying to get the president. No, they're partisan opponents. And this is what they do. It's what Republicans do, too. The difference is that the Democrats have the media. And so they're always able to get a bigger head of steam behind their efforts because the media plays it up as if it's legitimate. But it's not a coup. It's a political process, one that will die in the Senate. And that's why I think we just need to let the voters deal with this. I, I I fundamentally think we should just let the voters handle this process. Because, I mean, who whose mind is going to be made up? Who who whose mind is going to be made up by this? I, I don't know anybody whose mind is going to be made up by this. And you know, here's the problem man. on the presidential front. If the president's asking Ukraine to dig up dirt on a political opponent, that's really bad. Do you want a Democrat doing that to a Republican? No, you don't. You do not. And, and you can say, this one, they're already doing it. 
the amount of rationalization by Republicans to get Donald Trump out of this mess. The they're already doing it. They've done it. They did it. Uh, they're going to do it. Uh, Donald Trump should be able to do it. It's payback. It's fair. It's fair because they did it too. this one bite at the apple because they got a bite of the apple. No, it is. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And, and two wrongs don't make a right. We're not in grade school. We're not on the kindergarten playground. He means I and him. And if the president gets reelected and he's not accountable to the voters again, what the heck does he do if he's suddenly liberated? I got real concerns about that. And I'm voting for the guy. Good Lord. Compared to Elizabeth Warren, she's on TV now running attacks on billionaires. I want to be a billionaire. Never going to happen, but I, I can aspire. I, I feel stuck. What a gross time in American politics. We've got a president, and let, let's just be real here. He he wanted to dig up dirt because he, he did want to hurt the Bidens. And I think that's a problem. And if this had if this had come up last year, I probably would be in favor of impeachment. The but the more I've thought about it, we're less than a year from the election. The election is a political process, too. Let's just let the voters deal with this next year. Let the Democrats make it as a big campaign issue. But I got to tell you, here's the Democrats' fear. This is why they're all excited about Deval Patrick coming out today and, and announcing he's going to run. They're starting to get scared of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders gaining traction, particularly Elizabeth Warren, because they know the voters are going to reject her agenda. They know the voters are going to hate her agenda. They know that if Elizabeth Warren is the Democratic nominee, that Donald Trump will probably get reelected. And that's why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is all out there about um, about we got to do this now. We got to stop the president. If I'm in a situation and I've got one of these wackadoo Democrats running against President Trump, despite all of my concerns about the president. Yeah, I'm thinking, huh, I, I probably need to go with him again. And there are a lot of people out there who feel the same way. I, is it just me or I, does anybody else feel held hostage by politics right now? And I, I, I'm somebody who comes on this program all the time and says we shouldn't be we shouldn't be so focused on politics. But at some point, you, you know, you do have to show up and vote. And what are your options? A bunch of socialist Democrats who want to destroy the economy and stop anybody from ever being able to be successful without punishing them for being successful. Or a guy who calls the president of a foreign country and says, hey, hey, why, why don't you look into this 2016 thing? And, and by the way, while you're at it, check out this Biden stuff, too. I'm not sure I trust his judgment. But I guarantee you I don't trust the Democrats' judgment. And I certainly don't trust the analysis from the media. So what do you do? I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I got to gotta sit here on a daily basis and say, you know, I, I don't like this and I don't like that, but I do like this and I do like this. And I think this is fair and I think this is wrong. The, the number of people who have sent me angry emails for saying uh, the, that I think the Democrats have, have every right to do this impeachment inquiry, I do. It's in the Constitution. I support the Constitution. They got a right to do it. Whether I think it's legitimate or not, they got a right to do it. And I don't think it's a coup. And I don't think it'll be successful. And I think the GOP is right to largely laugh at it. I mean, just just let me let me play you real quick this audio from Schiff to put put stuff in perspective. The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. 
The President has instructed the State Department and other agencies to ignore congressional subpoenas for documents. He has instructed witnesses to defy subpoenas and refuse to appear. And he has suggested that those who do expose wrongdoing should be treated like traitors and spies. These actions will force Congress to consider, as it did with President Nixon, whether Trump's obstruction of the constitutional duties of Congress constitute additional grounds for impeachment. If the President can simply refuse all oversight, particularly in the context of an impeachment proceeding, the balance of power between our two branches of government will be irrevocably altered. That is not what the founders intended. And the prospects for further corruption and abuse of power in this administration or any other will be exponentially increased. This is what we believe the testimony will show, both as to the president's conduct and as to his obstruction of Congress. Keep in mind, good phrase there, this is what we believe the evidence will show. Now listen to this. Uh, look, I'm, I'm reserving judgment uh, on the ultimate questions once the testimony is complete uh, about what should follow from this. What are the consequences? It is certainly the case that the founders were deeply concerned that a president of the United States one day may be elected to office that would put his or her interests above the country, that would sacrifice our national security, either to get a political or personal favor or owing to some foreign influence. So the facts that have come to light are very much what the founders had in mind, I think, when they provided a remedy. Uh, so we're going to have to make that decision. I, I'm not prejudging it. Uh, I'm not prejudging it. I'm not prejudging it. I'm going to keep it open mind. You just heard the man say he thinks the president committed impeachable crimes and, and that's where the evidence is going to lead. And now he said, I'm going to keep an open mind on this. You can't trust the process. It's a foregone conclusion of what's going to happen. And the Democrats have made no effort, none, at a bipartisan process. A big difference between then, during the Nixon impeachment process, and even the Bill Clinton impeachment process, and now, is that at that time, you had bipartisan support for this kind of inquiry to begin. Uh, right now, you don't have any bipartisan it support. Was... You just have Democrats. All the Republicans voted against beginning this. And that's a problem. And, you know, honestly, the Democrats in the media have been wanting impeachment since the man got elected. I'm not even an overwhelming fan of the guy. I didn't vote for him in 2016. I'll probably wind up, I'm sure I'll wind up voting for him in 2020, given the way the Democrats are going. I'm not happy about it, but what's the alternative? Pence would be great. Listen, I, I, I should be supporting impeachment. That would give me Mike Pence. Mike Pence is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, I adore Mike Pence. I adore his wife. Uh, they are real prayer warriors for my wife. Um, I, I love the guy. But this whole process is absurd. The media coverage is absurd. The president's behavior is absurd. The whole thing is absurd. We, we, we are held hostage by the absurdity of American politics these days, and there seems to be no escape from it. I, I just, I have a hard time treating any of it seriously, though. And I don't know that any of you should treat it very seriously either. No, it's not a coup. 
but yes, it is politics. And yesterday, it seemed like the prevailing angst of the diplomats who testified was that they don't like the direction the president is taking the country. Not that he did something wrong, but that they don't like the way he, they think it's wrong the direction he's headed the country in. And that's not a diplomat's place to decide. That's the place of the elected leader of the United States of America. Just because they don't like it, just because the Democrats don't like it, win a freaking election. And that's why I think, let the voters deal with this. Hey, you know, one more thing on impeachment. And again, in the next hour, we'll have somebody from the White House join us. And the 11 o'clock hour, Jody Heiss is going to join us. Um, But NBC News is getting torn up. Uh, by an analysis from Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen, by the way, was a partisan Democrat uh, who worked for a bunch of left-wing sites, uh, went to work for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, left the Politico, went to work for her, went back to Politico, then joined the the left-wing site Vox and uh, is now at NBC. Funny, that career path, but he's getting torn up for this analysis. I'll just read you the tweet summation of it. The first two witnesses called Wednesday testified to President Trump's scheme, but lacked the pizzazz necessary to capture public attention. <laughs> yep. He, he, oh, how dare him say they lacked pizzazz. They, these were these were studious people, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Um, he's right. I mean, he is right, y'all. They, who, who, who watched that? Who watched that? Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And the media is so convinced that they've got him. The Democrats are so convinced they've got him and they're not. And you know, what's going to happen is they're going to be increasingly embittered by this stuff. They are. I, I, I got to move on from, though, honestly, I, I feel like Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson is largely avoiding covering impeachment, uh, and I think he's right to do so because it's not going to happen. It's just a waste of time. Uh, the Democrats have, have given up on persuading Republicans. Uh, this is all kabuki theater designed to get them headlines as they head into the political season. But Mitch McConnell uh, is announcing they may prolong the Senate impeachment trial. Now, I it just if you weren't here yesterday, let, let me hang on a second. Uh, I, let me do this again. Democratic primaries, 2020 primaries, 20. Yes, here we go. Um, I should have pulled this up earlier, but I just had the, this this moment of genius that that I should have done this. Uh, occasionally, I have these moments of genius. Don't get used to it. Uh, The primary calendar, February 3rd, Iowa, February 11th, New Hampshire, February 22nd, Nevada, February 29th, South Carolina, March 3rd is Super Tuesday, Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, and American Samoa. They could keep the impeachment trial going for eight weeks, people, eight weeks. If you have an eight-week impeachment trial, the Senate Democrats who are running, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, um, oh, what's it, Michael Bennett from Colorado, they will miss all of those. 
They will miss them all. And Mitch McConnell is now saying, yeah, you know, we may do this. And the Democrats are like, well, it's the constitutional process and people will believe the legitimacy of the process. And no, these people will not be able to be on the campaign trail. And Deval Patrick just entered the race and the media suddenly loves him and no longer loves Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg. This isn't good for them. Anybody out there want to buy me a new computer? (laughs) Uh, Apple um, just came out with their... A new 16-inch laptop, and they've gone back to their old keyboard. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Uh, I am a huge Mac cultist. I will admit that. Uh, I will completely admit that. And I have been really, really aggravated by their laptops in the last couple of years. In fact, I bought a, a 2006 late 2016 late 2017 i guess uh macbook pro and the keyboard broke and the only way to get it fixed was to ship it off to apple and i couldn't ship it off to apple because i needed the computer so i had to buy a new laptop in order to send my old laptop off the new laptop was great until about three weeks ago and the keyboard on it started breaking and so now I, I, I finally passed off the old laptop to uh, my oldest, uh, my 14-year-old. She needed a computer uh, to do schoolwork. And so I gave her the old one. The, by the way, the keyboard had never been fixed on it. I'm still got to do that on that one. And so now I'm on my wife's borrowed laptop, and, and I turn off every sound on my electronic devices. And I will just apologize uh, profusely to all of you if you hear sound coming down the line that are computer-generated tones because I can't figure out how to turn all the notifications off. And and I'm a Mac user, so I, I want the new 16-inch MacBook Pro. I, I absolutely do. Uh, I, I very much want that new laptop. Uh, we, will, we will see uh, one day. <laughs> um but if somebody wants to send me five thousand uh, dollars because i want the fully loaded one yeah i'm i'm totally happy to to unburden you of that money <laughs> uh, okay uh w- w- i am moving on from a piece because the more i think it just makes me mad the whole thing makes me mad we, we gotta get to deval patrick but I, I put this story off for three days and now we need to get to the story there's a new sin we have a new sin it, it's not in the bible It is not in your religious literature, but there is a new sin, and many of you are sinners. I am not a sinner. I have not committed this sin. I will explain to you why I have not committed this sin, and you can all laugh at me, but you are a sinner if you have ever returned something to Amazon. I, I Did you know? In December, this is from the Los Angeles Times, no less. In December, American consumers will return more than 1 million packages to e-commerce retailers each day. It's a flood of unwanted stuff that's expected to peak on January 2nd, when UPS cheekily refers to it as National Returns Day. For UPS and other shippers, there's a reason for plenty of post-holiday cheer. For everyone else... Those tens of millions of packages are a real problem. By one recent estimate, they accounted for five billion with the B pounds of land-filled waste in the United States alone, and an additional fifteen million tons of carbon emitted into the atmosphere at a time when consumers and companies are otherwise rethinking their choices in light of climate change. 
e-commerce returns amount to a hidden environmental crisis. Being woke has got to be exhausting. If you send your package back to Amazon, you are con- you are participating in a hidden environmental crisis. <laughs> the money back guarantee is likely as old as retail itself, and so many storied brands built their reputations by honoring it. The benefits don't just accrue to the customers. A retailer standing by its product likely sells more, but it's bad. It's ba- the money back guarantee is bad. <laughs> It is a religion. It is giving you your money back because you bought something you don't like and you send it back is bad because it's encouraging you to participate in the environmental crisis. <laughs> oh my gosh. Y'all, you can't make this stuff up. I am. This is the Los Angeles. It's not even opinion column at the Los Angeles Times. It's a news column at the Los Angeles Times. <laughs> You you can't return your package because you're a sinner. You're going to pollute the planet. Why don't you stop ordering it in the first place? Capitalism is bad. <laughs> okay, can I tell you guys a secret? I, <laughs> this is so bad. I should not be saying this, but I bet I'm not alone. If you're a dude out there, I bet you are the same way because I've mentioned this to friends of mine and oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't return stuff to Amazon. I know they make it easy. At least they claim to make it easy, but it's not worth my time. And I I know you're sitting there. Wait, you're wasting money. You're not getting your money. No, I'm not. And I know it's crazy. I would rather have a pile of junk stacked up than have to go to the UPS store because it is a horrible experience and trying to get it all back in a box and get more padding and go, oh, it shakes. You can't have it shake. Let me charge you five more bucks to get more padding in the box. Oh, it's such a horrible experience. God bless you if you take the time to send stuff back to Amazon. I don't. I've got extra doohickey and, and doodads and, and whatchamajiggies all over my office because I'm just like, I'm not taking the time to go to Amazon to a UPS store and send it back. I don't want to. I would rather just have it pile. Y'all should see my office. Jimmy Hoffa is somewhere in my office. I, I, I swear to you, this has become a pet peeve of mine. I clean up my office and I go out of town on business. And when I come home, uh, my wife and my kids have piled everything that's come in in the mail and stuff on my desk. And it just eventually piles up because I travel so much. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what's here anymore. I, I have no idea. I was looking for, I got a, got a check in the mail the other day. Uh, it was a several thousand dollar check for my syndicated column. And it was somewhere in my office. And it took me hours to find it. Hours to find. Y'all, it, I am ashamed of my... I, I'm like a hoarder in my office. I am a clean person who throws stuff away except in my office. Stuff just piles up. Because I'm gone, people throw stuff in my office. It's like, oh, what is this? I don't know. Must be dad's. Put it in the office. And on top of that, I got all the stuff from Amazon that I'm just not going to return. And you see, now that makes me more virtuous than you. If you send the Amazon stuff back, I I am a more virtuous person than you are because I'm not contributing to the environmental crisis by sending the junk back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Y'all, listen. 
there's a there's a a larger level commentary on this. There there actually is. In in the woke religion, they're still trying to figure out their orthodoxies. They're still trying to figure out their doctrines. There there's no doctrine of grace, but they got other doctrines they're trying to figure out. And I, I'm I'm it's 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 just crazy. And if you don't go along with the agenda, you get silenced, you get punished, you get blackballed, you 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 get bullied, you get better. it's like the impeachment. Yeah, I know. I'm going back to the impeachment stuff. God help me. Um if I, I I've I see people on social media who if you don't agree with them line for line on impeachment you're you're bad you're a bad person you're you're an idiot you're you're stupid you're how can you not agree with me on this y'all I got my own opinions I'm sorry and and you don't have to share my opinion that is totally fine you know if you want to call in and 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 talk about it that's fine 877-973-7425 I'm I'm happy to hear from you agree with me or not I'm I'm totally okay with it but this this whole nonsensical idea in wokeness in particular in, in the woke religion of the day that if you don't comply with the left on all of their woke ideas and comply with the left on uh, their their vision of what is right for the world and their ideas on on transgenderism and and gay marriage and and social justice that somehow you need to be silenced. I I, I swear to you, one one of the reasons that I I have stuck with seminary for so long is I feel like one day that's going to be the only place left where I can go have a job as in a pulpit somewhere. Uh, where, where at least I have some level of protection to say the things that need to be said. But part of I, I, I honestly view part of my job these days in radio is not just to, to give you the news and hopefully keep you somewhat entertained. It's to be able to say the things that you believe, but you can't say because the entire world seems to be conspiring against all of us to yell at us to make a shut up. And you're not alone. It, it is amazing. And, and this is particularly bad on the left. It really is particularly bad on the left uh, where they they want you to be silent and then they want you to feel like you are isolated and alone. See, you are you're not allowed to have a view that deviates from them. And if you have a view that deviates from them, you need to keep your mouth shut. And if you don't keep your mouth shut, you are committing some heretical act against them. And if they can keep you shut, and this is what you've got to understand, this is, this is, this is the most important thing. Understand this. They really don't care about you. They, they don't. They don't care about you sending packages back to Amazon. They care about your kids or grandkids. That's who they care about. See, they, they, they've given up on you. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. But your kids, they're coming for your kids. And they want your kids to believe this stuff. They want your kids to be woke. And they want to silence you so that your kids 
don't have competition. They don't have competition for your kids. They keep you shut up. Your kids think, well, nobody believes this stuff. I, I, I guess they're right. That's why I, it, it's so important. And, and you know, so I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. I, I had a near-death experience, and I wrote a book for my kids, If I Should Die Before You Wake. Uh, these are the things I want my kids to know. Uh, life lessons from a father to a child. You, you can Google it. Maybe, maybe I should start giving out free copies on the show. Um, one of the things I said is, is that it, it is a goal of the world to isolate people of faith in particular and make them feel alone and make them feel no one agrees with them so that you can begin to make them believe that uh, they're wrong, their ideas are wrong, their ideas are outmoded, and they need to get with the times. And in particular, the world wants to do this to you to not affect you, but to affect your children. And so it's incumbent on you as a parent, it's incumbent on me as a parent, to surround my children with people who share my values so that they see we're not alone, that we're not isolated, that we're not fringe. The world wants that so much. The left wants that so much. The, the bullying from the woke religion is so much about that, making you feel isolated so that you feel alone, so that you feel an oddball, because people do want to conform. My goodness. Um, I saw, I think it was a New Yorker cartoon recently, um, of the, the Individualist Society of America. Uh, we don't conform. Here's a book. Read it. See how to stand. See how to stand out like us. Something like that. It, 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 the whole joke being that all the people who say they, they don't conform to society that they, they conform to society. They look just like society. How many rugged individualists who stand out from society and want to be distinct and unique go out and get pretty much the same style of tattoo? How many of the hipsters who all want to stand out and 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 want to be distinct and unique go out and they all wear the same flannel shirt? You know what's so hilarious about it? There was a story a while back. I think it, I think it was before I started the show, and maybe it was in July. Um, Bloomberg, I think it was Bloomberg. Bloomberg did a story on how in in hipster circles and among millennials there is a real drive to stand out and be unique and as they engage in this pattern of behavior of trying to stand out and being unique what actually happens is they look more and more like all the other people around them all the other hipster millennials they all wear their red checked flannel shirts and they all get their their big piercings in their ears and their 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 sleeve tattoos and on and on to try to stand out and make themselves look unique and get their warby parker glasses and and uh their their curated artisan jeans from the same website and on and on and what was so funny is they used a picture and some guy threatened to sue them some hipster millennial threatened to sue them for using his image for their story and it wasn't him that's the punchline. It, it wasn't this guy the, the, in a story about how hipster millennials try to be unique and in the process wind up looking exactly like all the other hipster millennials. Here comes a hipster millennial, sees a picture on the website related to the story and wants to sue because he says, they're using my image. That's me. And it wasn't him. Oh, and let's not forget the beards, the Jesus beards. They, they all got the Jesus beards too. With with three-day-old crumbs from their marijuana brownie. <laughs> I just, I mean, the, the, this drive to stand out and be unique and, and you look like everyone else is just, it's its its not a, a new phenomenon, but now when you couple it with woke politics, uh, the, it is a drive to come for your children, to make you shut up, to make your kids think you're deviant and weird for having traditional views and behaviors and thoughts and loving Jesus and all that, and uh, they're coming for your kids. 
and they keep adding sins to the book. And the latest sin is if you return your package to Amazon, you're destroying the environment. You're contributing to a hidden environmental crisis by returning it. And and the larger thing here is this is all about sabotaging capitalism. It's all about sabotaging success. It is an undercurrent within wokeness right now that believes that capitalism is bad. We need a command and control economy to be able to deal with the crises of our day, including global warming, climate change, or whatever you want to call it. And so all the energy is poured into subverting what they call the traditional paradigms, capitalism, conservatism, Christianity, and the way they do it by subverting it is uh, they define deviancy as normal and normal as deviant. Archbishop Chaput from Philadelphia sometimes says the evil preaches tolerance until it practices, preaches tolerance until it's dominant and then it seeks to silence good. That That's the phase we're in right now, the silencing good phase. And one of the, the goods is in our society, we have this genius thing called an internet where you buy something from Amazon, it shows up the next day, you never have to interact with another human being, you just do it all over the computer, it shows up, you decide, ah, that doesn't fit, let me send it back and, and get the next size up, and you do, and you're a sinner for doing it, because you're not woke. Special Assistant to the President, Deputy White House Press Secretary Steve Grove is going to be joining me at 10 o'clock to talk about impeachment. Uh, I recorded an interview with Jody Heiss late yesterday. Uh, I will play that for you at 11 o'clock. Right now, Disney had over 10 million people sign up the first day for Disney+, Plus, but the Washington Post tells us that Disney's much-anticipated streaming service has tacked warnings onto the beginnings of some movies indicating they might include racist or otherwise offensive elements, a move that experts say begins to address the problem but fails to go far enough. The message that airs before classic films, including Dumbo and Peter Pan, says the movie is shown as it originally was made and may contain outdated cultural depictions. Depictions, dun, dun, dun. Some, oh, good Lord. Michael Barron, a senior partner at the Illinois, of course it's Illinois, diversity and inclusion consulting firm Inquest Consulting says, it really feels like a first step. I think that they could do so much more forcefully and not only what they're saying, been warning, but also in what they're doing. <gasps> Disney frequently has come under fire for characters that promote racist stereotypes. The Crows and Dumbo encapsulated stereotypes of African-Americans. One bird is named Jim Crow. <gasps> In 1967's The Jungle Book critics say the monkeys portrayed black people as foolish and criminal. The curlish hyenas and the Lion King could represent could represent racial minorities who live on the wrong side of the tracks. Disney Plus's warnings that elements of certain films may be outdated is an apolitical and passive way of acknowledging society's cultural dialogue about racism and diversity, and that some movies are bound to be criticized, says a University of Virginia professor of media and American studies. Uh-oh, uh-oh, what's this? Uh, others have criticized Disney Plus for not being direct about what the content warnings are referring to. Oh, good Lord. 
Um, so Warner Brothers uh, has started doing this to Looney Tunes. The cartoons you're about to see are products of their time. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then, and they're wrong today, but by God, go watch it. <laughs> Oh, and this is they should include more more. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh Oh, this is problematic. Do you know one of the movies where there's no warning? There is no warning on Aladdin. Aladdin has no warning. Why should it have a warning? Says the diversity trainer. The warning should apply to Aladdin because the film has problematic representations of gender and sexuality. I can't cuss on radio, can I? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, oh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Um, wow. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, the King of the Jungle number. I like the King of the Jungle number with King Louie in, in, in the Jungle Book. It's racist now. You're not allowed to like it because it's racist. Oh, good gracious, good gracious. Um, oh, wow. Okay. This is... Apparently, they fixed Lady and the Tramp, too. They have a live-action version. The Siamese cats, they're no longer Siamese because that would be an Asian stereotype. Good Lord, people. <laughs> Over... A hundred million people have had their personal information stolen in data breaches, social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, so much more, all taken from Capital One customers. There's a good chance you were affected. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe, and it's not just Capital One. Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, Yahoo, they've all had uh, leaked password issues, credit card issues, bank number issues. In fact, I had to get a new debit card last week. It just showed up in the house with a note saying one of the online vendors uh, had information compromised. And so you need to use something like ExpressVPN to help ignore this stuff. You can't control how big corporations mishandle your data. You need to understand that. But you can protect yourself. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and phone. It encrypts and secures your data. If a breach can happen to Capital One, it can happen to you. Now, you won't don't want to go online without ExpressVPN. And if you care about your privacy and safety... You really need ExpressVPN. It connects with just a click. It's lightning fast. It costs less than seven bucks a month. And it's the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, countless others. Use my special link, expressvpn.com slash Eric right now. Arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show. Protect yourself. Get ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash Eric for an extra three months. From the North Georgia mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic coast, it is Eric Erickson covering the entire state of Georgia now. <laughs> I have news on that front coming soon. Um, glad to have you with me this morning. If you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me from Washington, D.C. is Steve Groves, the special assistant to the president, deputy White House press secretary. How are you, Steve? Doing just fine this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, uh, um, I, I I watched this thing yesterday, and mm, sorry, it, yeah, it, it seems to me that there are some careerists who don't like the direction the president has taken the country, and have decided that he should be impeached because they don't like his policy positions that he was elected to carry out. 
Well, there, there's definitely this undertone that uh, the, the witnesses yesterday, and I'm, I, I think witnesses that to come uh, in this impeachment uh, sham that, that Schiff is running, that believe that somehow U.S. foreign policy is some abstract concept for which they are the deciders, and that the interagency process is something that decides what our policy should be. And if the president decides otherwise, then those efforts are to be hindered or blocked or, or um, you know, submarined. Uh, what hasn't gotten through to a lot of folks, um, and not just at the State Department, but all around government, is that the the when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to defense, the Constitution vests those decisions and those policy choices with one person, and that's the person who is elected to be president. So I, I expect that theme to continue in, in, in future hearings, uh, but it's relevant here because so much of this boils down to uh, folks having a policy dispute with the president and then thinking that uh, you know, because they have this dispute with him, they're going to oppose uh, what he was attempting to do. I saw someone from the Washington Free Beacon uh, circulate a, a New York Times article from 1983 that State Department employees were, were leaking and grumbling about George Shultz uh, because Ronald Reagan had decided uh, that we were going to abandon Carter-era policies of essentially mutually assured destruction and containment with the Soviet Union and instead challenged the Soviet Union, and that was bad, and, and we should not do what Ronald Reagan wanted. And I listen, I, I, I have a great deal of respect for, for Bill Taylor and his service, but I listened yesterday, and I think uh, nine out of every ten words was about how we have this longstanding policy with Ukraine, and we need to keep this policy, and um, it's not his choice. He wasn't elected. Yeah, we all respect the service of of both of those men. They they look like they sound to me like they've dedicated their lives to public service uh, in the military and elsewhere, but I think it's just something about the human condition that after doing something for decades, you start to believe that the system and the process and you know the positions that that have been taken in the past somehow are the only positions that can be taken uh, going forward. You, I think as a human being, you take ownership over those policies. And then when someone comes in who's a disruptor to that, like the president is, who has very different ideas about some of these sacred cows, just the way that uh, people had different ideas in the 1983 State Department with George Shultz and against Ronald Reagan and the Soviet Union, uh, that disruption, you know, it unsettles them. And uh, they're not quite sure what to do other than resist. And uh, as I said, I think this theme will continue to play out with people like uh, Colonel Vindman and uh, and other witnesses who uh, Chairman Schiff uh, will be calling up to, to testify. We're, we're at this this Colonel Nicholson moment from the bridge over the River Kwai, where where he he suddenly realizes, oh my gosh, I've been pursuing this policy for so long, and and, and now maybe I need to blow up the damn bridge. Yeah, um, and it's too late, and he gets shot. And yes, he, I, I, don't, I, I I can't remember if he makes it to the plunger or not. I think his dying moment was it. over that's the plunger. The last scene, I, it's one of my favorite movies, but I, it just it told me that that's that's what this strikes me as is is we've been pursuing. Pursuing this policy forever, we must continue to pursue this policy and prove that we are are this image. And and uh oh, here comes a guy who wants to go in a different direction. The voters have said he's the guy. We want to go in his direction, and and it's, it's only dawning on them now. I I, I I won't pursue the narrative too far, but let, let me ask you this: the the White House view on this. I, I'm I'm reading various articles out there today that uh, part of the the, the I, part of the position of the White House is that this is just a distraction, and I. 
I do think it's very notable that uh, the president is really out there. He's being visible. He's being shown to be president and on the campaign trail while the Democrats are totally distracted by this stuff. Yeah, the distraction is happening up on the Hill, uh, you know, particularly in the House, uh, where they're not looking at drug prices or the USMCA trade agreement or things that, uh, you know, your average American, uh, you know, cares a lot more about, you know, pocketbook issues. Your average American was not sitting home yesterday watching this rather boring hearing unfold for hours and hours upon end. So it's not distracting the president. I mean, he was in, spent most of the day uh, with a with a key international uh, player out there in, in Turkey with uh, with Mr. Erdogan, uh, obviously lots of issues to deal with with Turkey and Syria and Russia. Uh, so he's not distracted by this. Um, you know, he's aware that it's going on. He gets briefed on 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 what's going on. But the White House is going to continue to operate and the and the and the the federal government, uh, the executive branch is going to continue to operate. We're not going to be distracted in any significant way. Uh, by this. We have to monitor it and do our jobs, but the president's going to keep on leading. Well, it, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but but I do. I, I talked to Congressman Heiss from Georgia yesterday about this, and I, I've got this philosophical concern uh, about the impeachment process that uh, we are in a situation where we know now there was a whistleblower. The whistleblower uh, did talk with the, the uh, Adam Schiff's office beforehand. Uh, there are allegations of, of partisan bias here. And if we extract your boss out of the equation, just the president of the United States, it seems to me because of what the Democrats are doing, we are rapidly and anonymous as well out there. We're rapidly moving to a point where no president will be able to trust holdovers from prior administrations uh, and no president will be able to trust that people within the intelligence and law enforcement communities of the federal government are not trying to sabotage their presidencies when they have a policy disagreement with the president. And I'm actually really troubled by that more than anything else, that we, we seem to be undermining the ability of the president of the United States to trust those around him to give him competent advice. Yeah, I, I struggle with that as well. It's it's very concerning. It's been a problem with this administration, but I would tweak your concern uh, only to say that it is incoming Republican or conservative presidents who have that to be concerned with. <laughs> I think I, I think I, I, I saw something where they're like something 90, 95 percent of the State Department surveyed who voted were Hillary Clinton voters. So if she takes over uh, a presidency, she has a great deal less to worry about over at the State Department than a Donald Trump uh, taking over. So uh, I don't I'm not a deep, deep state conspiracy uh, theorist. But, uh, you know, apropos to the, the issues that we were talking about earlier in the call, there are people who believe that this is the process. This is the interagency. This is our policy. And if you say otherwise, then there's something there's not something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. And those people and those types of um, that mindset, uh, I believe, is much more amenable to Democratic presidents coming in and uh, who are not going to disrupt that. Yeah, that is a Donald Trump is a disruptor and he's conservative. And uh, uh, these are the type of battles that we have to fight in order to uh, advance his agenda for the American people. Well, keep on what you're doing. Uh, you're certainly, I mean, heck, we're, we're, we've just passed the anniversary of moving the embassy in, in Israel, something every president said they would do. And, oh, my gosh, it would be a disaster if we actually did it. And <laughs> l- l- looks like we've done it. And what they said would happen hadn't. 
Yeah, just like Reagan confronted the Soviets and everyone thought that that was a World War III thing and he was crazy in destruction of the planet. And you know what? You know, things turned out okay. They did. Steve Groves, thanks very much for stopping by this morning. Good luck having to deal with this this week. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Steve Groves, Deputy White House Press Secretary, Special Assistant to the President of the United States. Uh, I've not actually talked to – you know, actually, I I may have talked to him one time before – you know, it is there is this interesting dichotomy. The president yesterday met with Erdogan at the White House and in so doing um, held a press conference. Uh, they talked policy. They had their meetings and life went on. It, it is this weird dichotomy. And I don't know that the founders, when they conjured up impeachment, really played it out in their head of what would this actually look like. Uh, but you've you've got this situation where the, I mean, the, the the president of the United States continues to be president, continues to serve, hits the campaign trail, does all of these things, and and continues on. Now, as to the people yesterday, let, let me play this clip from Bill Taylor, ambassador to the, I got to stop saying the Ukraine. Uh, it was the Ukraine my entire life growing up until like 10 years ago. Uh, force a habit. Here, here's Bill Taylor. These two investigations that would benefit Donald Trump's re-election. Is that what you understood the facts to be? Mr. Goldman, what, what I can do um, here for you today is tell you what I heard from people. And in this case, it was what I heard from Ambassador Sondland. Um, he described conditions for the security assistance and the White House meeting in, in those terms. That is, that were dependent upon, conditioned on, um, pursuing these investigations. Pursuing these investigations. And you know what, what he said? It was a Burisma investigation, not a Joe Biden investigation. I, I got to tell you, one, one of the best lines of the day, I think, came from Jim Jordan in his conversation with Bill Taylor. And then what you have in front of you is an addendum that Mr. Sondland made to his testimony that we got a couple weeks ago says, Declaration of Ambassador Gordon Sondland. I, Gordon Sondland, do hereby swear and affirm as follows. I want you to look at point number two, bullet point number two, second sentence. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told, Ambassador Taylor, that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmack on September 1st, 2019, in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. Now, this is his clarification. Let me read it one more time. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 2019, in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. We got six people having four conversations in one sentence, and you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding. Which, I, I mean, even though you had three opportunities with President Zelensky for him to tell you, you know what? We're going to do these investigations to get the aid. Didn't tell you three different times. Never makes an announcement. Never tweets about it. Never does a CNN interview. Ambassador, you weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Lindsey's call? I did not. You've never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvaney? I never did. You never met the president? That's correct. You had three meetings again with Zelensky and it didn't come up. And, <laughs> and then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, I've seen church uh, prayer chain emails that were easier to follow than this. <laughs> it was such a great lie. Even Bill Taylor, I mean, Bill Taylor, uh, Jim Jordan calls him out as, as the Democrat star witness and Taylor just starts laughing and, and nodding along. Listen, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm glad Steve Groves didn't want to go there um, in, in beating up Bill Taylor. Bill Taylor is a career servant of this United States. He served the... 
honorably with uh, distinguished himself in the military, went into the foreign service, uh, has been repeatedly over the years sent to Ukraine by George W. Bush, by Barack Obama, uh, by uh, Donald Trump. He has served every president going back to Ronald Reagan. He has served them ably with distinction, honorably. He is a big advocate, was a big advocate of, of Reagan's policy on taking out the Soviet Union. He was a big advocate of propping up Ukraine. He believes in supporting Ukraine. He does not like the direction the president wants to take it. Uh, he was very clear. I mean, we, we listened to some of his opening statement on the program yesterday. He's very, very concerned with public policy towards Ukraine. And I get it. I, I totally get it. But I'm not sure it's impeachable. By, by the way, so one of the, the things that Taylor said yesterday that was new is that one of his aides— after he testified in private, he learned one of his aides overheard the president and Gordon Sunland talking. They were in a restaurant. Uh, the aide and Gordon Sunland were in a restaurant, and Gordon Sunland called the president uh, from his cell phone to have a conversation with the president. Now, of course, the Democrats are making a big deal about this, that that violates all sorts of security protocols, calling the president on a cell phone. Big, big no-no. Sunland should have known better. Sunland's going to be a fall guy here, by the way. Giuliani and Sunland just have to be fall guys. But... um. But that uh, he, the aide could overhear the president and, talking on the phone, and the president was talking about uh, the investigations and where the investigations happening. There are a lot of Democrat or Republicans who have come out today, and they're questioning this account. How could this aide in a restaurant hear the president of the United States on the cell phone? I have personal experience. I was. This would have been. It was the end of school. It was May. My wife, there is a great pizza place in Macon, Georgia, Ingleside Village Pizza. If you ever go to Macon, where we live, uh, Ingleside Village Pizza is uh, just the, the greatest pizza place ever. Um, and it's just the atmosphere, everything, that the people, it's just wonderful. Best breadsticks in America. If you love breadsticks, you need to go to Ingleside Village Pizza. And we're sitting there. We had a school performance with the kids that night, an end-of-the-year concert. We're, we're starving, and we just decided, you know what? We, we all want pizza. We don't want fast food. Let's go to Ingleside. So we go to Ingleside. It's 9 o'clock at night, and we're sitting there at a booth, and it is after 9 o'clock, and an unknown number calls my cell phone. And uh, listen, if it's after 9 o'clock and an unknown number is calling my phone, it is important. And so I show my wife, she nods, I answer the phone. It is the president of the United States calling me directly. There is normally when President Trump calls me, uh, it, it had, was Madeline, his former assistant. She's now gone. Uh, but someone would call and, and say, uh, is this Eric Erickson? I'd say yes. Or usually I answer the phone and say, this is Eric. And they say, Mr. Erickson, this is Madeline from the White House. Uh, please hold for the president of the United States. And he comes on the phone, but nope, this, this was, this was straight up answer the phone. And, and it, it was the president. He, he actually, he, he <laughs> yeah, I actually answered the phone. Said, this, this is Eric. It's your favorite president. <laughs> that's, a, that's how he announced himself. Oh crap. Um, so I get up and leave the day. Everybody could hear. I mean, he, he was he was loud on the phone. Uh, you you we were in a restaurant and, and the people in the next booth could hear. 
<laughs> so yes, I heard that story uh, from Bill Taylor's aide. They're at a restaurant, and the president was so loud on the phone that everybody could hear. He could hear. It's like ah, I've been there <laughs> in a restaurant when it happened. <laughs> um, so yes, that 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 story totally plausible uh, that that happened. Um, just 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 a, a a funny anecdote uh, in this impeachment farce. So. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been promising to send you guys out. A re- I got a problem. Uh, I intend to send out the recipes. If, if you want to join the recipe list, uh, text, uh, recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. And I promise I will send you the recipe, but, but I mentioned earlier, I, I'm on my wife's laptop because my laptop keyboard broke and he, uh, Apple. I, I I had to I had to send it off to Apple to get the keyboard replaced, and I can't get into the email program on my wife's laptop. <sighs> yeah. So when I get my laptop back, which should be tomorrow, allegedly will be tomorrow. Please, Jesus, Lord in heaven, bring me my precious laptop back to me. I I miss my precious laptop. Unless one of you wants to buy me the 16-inch, I am totally down for that. I've got to win the lottery. <laughs> um, but I, I can't send the recipe. I'm totally locked out of my email program. <laughs> oh, you know, all, all the passwords uh, sync over. That's one of the great things about Apple is, is the keychain passwords, that everything syncs. So I fired up the new computer, and I put in my, my Apple ID, and everything syncs over. But... Apparently, the, the MailChimp password um, was not there, and I, I can't remember what it is. So hopefully tomorrow I'll be able to send it out. Okay, okay, okay. Um, we got other stuff we need to talk about. In the next hour, uh, Congressman Jody Heiss, I, I, I interviewed him late yesterday, and I want to play for you his interview. He actually was up there yesterday. Uh, Arby's is under attack. Arby's, you know, the the roast beef sandwich company, they're they're under attack. Uh, Why is Arby's under attack? Because an Arby's in Minnesota put up a sign that said only well-behaved children are welcome in their store. That's right. A mother of three walked into the Elk River, Minnesota Arby's for dinner with her family last week when she came face-to-face with the notice. Only well-behaved children who can keep their food on their trays and their bottoms on their seats are welcome. If you can't do this, you will be asked to leave. Thanks. And she was outraged. Outraged. I was shocked, she said, to find a sign like that. It's a fast food restaurant, not something with white tablecloths. It's supposed to be family-oriented. It is family-oriented. It's a good family-oriented place, not a bad family-oriented place. I have a toddler. I wasn't sure if I was going to be getting messages. I was going to have to leave it all. It was was bad. Uh, Y'all, the ability of people to run to the media and complain to get clicks on articles is destroying the country. Who cares about the sign? She wasn't thrown out of the restaurant. She wasn't thrown out of the restaurant. She had no problem. Good grief. Can I use you guys as a confession booth? Uh, I'm not Catholic, mind you. I I go to a PCA church. I grew up Southern Baptist. So I I should be able to have just my my one-on-one, on-my-knees confessional time with with the Lord Almighty. But I don't know that I want to talk to him about it. (laughs) Y'all. 
If you heard someone in the wind today blowing through the North Georgia mountains or you, or, or you felt it on a breeze coming off the ocean or, or, or you, you may, maybe in the, in the gentle rapids of the Southern Chattahoochee, you, you heard something that sounded like a profanity laced tirade at the top of someone's long lungs with words that you only use when Satan has possessed your body and an old priest and a young priest are trying to cast the demons out of you. Y'all, the power went out yesterday. It was out for several hours and it reset our coffee pot. And that, um, <laughs> we're on delay. If you're dead air, it's because I've got started up again. I had four hours of sleep last night. I was stuck on the road on the way home. And I got up this morning. I had a cup of coffee. I get in the shower. I decided I would wait. I would, would push the limits of my ability to get into the home studio in time, but I would take a shower. It would be mostly a cold shower to really wake me up. And then I would get coffee and I went into the kitchen and the <laughs> coffee pot, because the power was out yesterday, had reset and turned off after two hours and it should turn off after four hours. So it had been off since eight o'clock. It is 8.50 a.m. Our house is so cold, the coffee is already cold. I said words in the house all alone with no one here. And two hours later, I still feel guilty. I, it was, it was, it was a terrible, it was a terrible meltdown. <laughs> I mean, y'all, I, I, I don't use word language like that on a regular, but oh my Lord, I was so mad this morning at the stupid coffee pot. All I needed was caffeine and it was depriving me of caffeine because of the stupid power outage yesterday. It was bad. I, I, I feel the need to confess to you all. I'm not a perfect human being and this morning, well, my tongue got away from me. The book of James. I need to go read the book of James. <laughs> it was bad. It was it was ugly. Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad at that coffee pot. I just, if I could have murdered the coffee, except I would have deprived myself of the coffee I needed. So, I mean, literally, we're, we're, we're 10 minutes from air, and I'm scrambling in the kitchen to make more coffee so I can have hot coffee because I don't like cold coffee. I don't understand w w which person came up with the idea of pouring coffee over ice cubes. It's disgusting. I, I, and I, I don't understand. Starbucks makes so much money off of you people. You know, so our flagship station, flag, I can't even talk. I haven't had enough caffeine this morning. Our flagship station, WGAU in Athens, down just down the road for, from it um, is there's there's a Starbucks. And every time I go into the station, I, I go down the road to the Starbucks. And like every Starbucks, there is a line around the Starbucks. Uh, the 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 drive-through at the Starbucks backs up, and Starbucks is possibly the worst coffee ever invented by humanity. It, it co Starbucks coffee is garbage. It tastes like burned road tar. And yet, if you're desperate for coffee, that's where you have to go. And I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, I don't get the coffee. I get the caramel mocha latte macchiato with the, the spritz of whipped cream. No, why? Just get coffee. But get good coffee. Go, go to a coffee roaster. 
It's it's one of the things with, with the rise of craft beer breweries in Georgia. I, I'm I am actually starting to see the bearded hipsters who are trying to you know be unique and distinguish themselves in ways from all the other bearded hipsters wearing the same flannel shirts from the same locations uh, are are now doing coffee roasting. That's the new hip thing. Instead of instead of doing the craft beer from your Bible study, you do the 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 roast coffee beans. And I think it's brilliant. I get beer and coffee from hipsters. It's it's wonderful. And there are so many good coffee roasters. You know, there, there's this one over in Decatur, uh, outside of Atlanta, and near the the DeKalb Farmers Market called Radio Roasters. It's incredible. My wife and I get coffee every week from this place called uh, Mustache Coffee. Yeah, you can tell it's a hipster joint just in the name, can't you? Mustache Coffee. They're out in California somewhere. We used to get coffee from, oh, what's the famous one out in uh, California? Blue Bottle Coffee or something like that. Uh, we were getting coffee from a place that got bought by that place. And all their coffee beans were fruity flavored. Y'all, I'm sorry. I, I don't want my coffee to taste with, like with hints of strawberry or peach. I hate peaches and I hate strawberries. I don't want fruit for breakfast. I don't want fruit anytime. I'll eat an apple if I'm constipated and that's about it. I don't want fruit. Maybe a banana if I got leg cramps. Um, I, I just, I don't like fruit. And I don't want my coffee to taste like fruit either. And all these hipster coffee joints, they want to roast their beans to make it. You, you're tasting strawberry in your coffee. Why would I want to do that? I just want to taste coffee. I I, I like the coffee that tastes more like the, the caramels and the chocolate which you can get you can get the flavor profile and so i gave up on the company because i just didn't want crap coffee i i I, it's bad enough to go to starbucks i certainly didn't want fruity flavored coffee from a bunch of hipsters in in california so i went to other hipsters in california who their coffees are they're not burned roast they're not dark roast they're not even really super medium roast they're they're a lighter roast and you can, you know, I don't understand these sommelier people, you know, the wine people. Oh, I can taste the terroir of Burgundy and the, the, the hints of the oak char and, and, and the sweetness of the grape and a, a slight hint of, of velvet that a dog has licked. I, I, I mean, I, wine is gross anyway. It's the one thing Jesus got wrong in the Bible is he should have turned water into whiskey instead of wine. I, I hate grapes. But it, it, ugh, I, I, don't, I don't do that with stuff. I, I, I don't understand how you can taste this little Except, you know, there are some coffees where I've discovered that you can, yeah, okay, kind of does taste caramelly or kind of does taste like a garbage strawberry. I got a buddy of mine who comes over once in a while. He works with me, Philip. He's listening right now. And he'll come over and, and bring me a cigar to try. He's like, the other night it was creamy. This cigar tastes creamy. What, what is this? What is this? It, it, it tastes like I'm inhaling, putting smoke on my tongue from something that was burning. I don't understand what is creamy. I don't do that, but with the coffee, I can. And I know Starbucks is road tar, and I never understand why when I go to Athens, there's a line around every Starbucks. When you go to Atlanta, anywhere, there's a line around the Starbucks. Go find you a small roaster who roast beans. This mustache coffee place, I'll have to get a link and do the text message. It's actually really good. Every week, they send us a bag of beans. They roast it on a, on a Tuesday. They ship it on a Wednesday. We get it on a Thursday. We have super fresh coffee beans. Uh, on Friday morning, and it lasts us for the next week until we get the next bag. It's wonderful stuff. I cannot just believe I did an entire thing on coffee beans. But here we have it this morning. It's because I am punch drunk tired from being stuck on the road all night and didn't have a coffee pot this morning. We need to go to paper ballots now. We'll breathe. So paper ballots have been, you know, we've got the new electronic voting machines in Georgia. And the paper ballots are spit out of the machines. You haven't probably used them yet. 
you go to your your election location and you will be confronted with a giant touchscreen, just like the old machines. Except in addition now, you will get a roll of paper thermal printer attached to it and you will print out the paper receipt that shows who you voted for. It doesn't show who you are, but does show your vote so you can look at it and make sure the computer accurately tabulated your vote for the people you wanted because there's been this conspiracy theory. Thanks, uh, Sarah Riggs Amico, that uh, the machines are screwing up and they're not actually counting the vote for the right person. So the state decided we're going to print out a paper receipt. So you'll be able to have a paper receipt and you'll submit the paper receipt. And they decided let, let's do a test let us handle the election, and then we're going to recount. Several counties tried out. Paulding County was one. A couple counties in South Georgia, uh, one up in North Georgia, tried the electronic voting machines. They were somewhere up at near Rome that did, too. And you print out the paper receipt. They took the paper receipts, and they did a recount. And guess what? The paper ballot recount in Georgia matched the electronic vote. Number for number, vote for vote, the paper ballot matched the electronic ballot. And so the Secretary's office, Secretary of State's office says, hallelujah, praise the Lord, look at that. The paper ballots and the electronic ballots, they work synchronously. Is that a word? They, they work together. And they're accurate. The one's accurate. The other's accurate. They're both accurate. Hallelujah. We got an accurate count. And do you know the Democrats aren't happy about this? Of course they're not happy about it. They want absolute paper ballots. You can't stuff the ballot box with an electronic voting device. So you got to just go back to, to paper ballots. You know, when I was a when I was in the college Republicans here in the state, uh, there was a, a case in Fulton County where the Republicans were starting to get an edge. Remember, Karen Handel chaired the Fulton County Commission. There was a time when Republicans actually had a pretty dominant uh, position on the Fulton County Commission, and, and there was this this famous story uh, where the, the the ballot watchers were following the cars to the Board of Elections in Fulton County, and uh, it was paper ballots at the time, and the the people who were following the Republicans who were following to make sure ballot and integrity maintained a garbage truck pulled out and blocked their path and they got to the board of elections and they were separated from the ballots from the cars carrying the ballots they got to the board of elections and the ballot boxes weren't there the the people hadn't showed up the, the they got there late and yet the people who were carrying the ballots somehow got there later and guess obviously their ballots were heavily democratic all of a sudden uh, the, these sorts of things have happened. It, listen, it, it, it's not pervasive. It doesn't happen a lot, but electronic voting machines have a great deal to do with stamping out ballot stuffing. Ballot stuffing is it. Listen, I'm from Louisiana. I know about rigging elections. And the electronic ballots work, and it makes it easier unless you're in one of those godforsaken metro Atlanta counties that for some reason can't connect computers together and figure out how to get the tally off. I don't know why it takes so long. It should not take so long. I still feel like Fulton County is, is just in a in a 200-year habit of waiting to see how everyone else's vote comes in so the Board of Elections can try to rig it, and now they can't with the electronic machines, and the Democrats are like, oh, we got to go back to paper ballots. So the compromise was we'll have the electronic voting machine. And the new electronic voting machine will also have a printout, and the printout will show you who you voted for so you can have confidence in the machine. And do you know what the claim is now? 
Well, it's possible to hack the machine so that your printout shows you what you see on the screen, and what you see on the screen is what you put in, but that the computer actually casts a vote for someone else, and you never know it, and you never see it. And so we need a paper ballot. That is their excuse. That the electronic voting machine, coupled with the... Um, with the printout, paper receipt printout, can still cause someone to hack the machine and change your vote and you never see it. And this is their excuse for they want paper. By the way, the Secretary of State's office is investigating two of the, the chief opponents to these machines. They say it is uh, partisan uh, payback, but the Secretary of State's office is saying, no, actually, uh, we got complaints from people at the election. Uh, two of the big opponents of these electronic machines were at local polling places, and they were going into areas that, you know, you, you go vote. There are areas where you as uh, as a voter aren't allowed to go. And these poll watchers were trying to go there and, and were causing problems. And so there's a there's an investigation. The Secretary of State's office says they wouldn't be doing it except they got complaints from people, from the poll workers, that the watchers were causing problems at the place. They said typically what happens is they investigate. Uh, they, they send something to the Board of Elections. And the Board of Elections just sends them a letter and says, don't do it again. But these people are trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. Oh, we're being persecuted, persecuted by Brad Raffensperger. No, just stay out of the way. So the way, yeah, you know, Charlie just just uh, sent me a note. He said, "Remember the magical box of ballots found in the trunk of a car that got Al Franken across the finish line?" Yes, it happens. It, it does happen. It's not overwhelmingly pervasive, but it it certainly can happen. And electronic voting. Now the Democrats to try to get back to being able to stuff ballot boxers said, "Oh well, the Russians could hack these machines, and we'd never even know." There are all sorts of fear scenarios that you can come up with to try to undermine the election. And right now, it's hilarious to me to watch the Democrats upset with Matt Bevan for refusing to concede in Kentucky to the new governor, Andy Bashar, or Andy Bashir. And um, he's just doing what Stacey Abrams did. And now the Democrats are oh, Republicans. They can't admit that they lost an election. They, they always do this undermining the electoral process. What a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of hypocrites. These people, they will say or do anything to get elected. And you know the reality? A lot of Republicans are the same way. In Georgia, however, the Republicans in are in charge, so it's the Democrats casting aspersions on the electronic voting machines. And that's unfortunate because the machines actually really are good machines, and the machines actually really do help people with disabilities and the elderly. The elderly do not want to hold a pencil and pencil in a, in a bubble. Uh, disabled people do not want to do the same thing either. They can stand in front of a screen. They can get the font size uh, blown up big so they can see it if they have sight problems. It is very easy to direct their finger to touch the screen as opposed to holding a pen or pencil to scribble in a bubble. And somehow the Democrats don't want old people or the disabled to have an easy time voting. They should reconsider their opposition. The governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, is going to close the Senate application process here in the next uh, couple of weeks. It was announced around Thanksgiving. He's going to shut it down. I think the Monday of Thanksgiving week. No more applications for the Senate. They got enough. Um, he's going to make a decision. I have no insider knowledge on this. Uh, what I have been told is that the governor very much would like to find someone who doesn't fit the standard mole. Mold, not mole. Um, <laughs> um, the, the, um, the, they would like to find someone 
who kind of doesn't fit the pattern of people you would think that the governor would appoint given what people think about the governor. Uh, So how does this work? If you look at Kemp's appointments to the judiciary and other appointments, he's actually made a very, very good bunch of diverse picks, and he's gone for qualified people, not ideological warriors, and that's actually angered some of the GOP, but I think he's done the right thing. For example, uh, in Gwinnett County, he's picked Asian and Hispanic judges. He's picked an openly lesbian person in DeKalb County. She fits the local community. Uh, In Cobb County and and DeKalb County, he's picked uh, black women to be prosecutors uh, in vacant positions. He's done a very good job of making very diverse picks, and that's why even the crummy AJC poll... But I, I got to spend a little more time on just how bad the AJC poll is. I, I've 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 gone into there after after Jody Heiss. I, I will do that uh, because now the AJC is out. Oh, majority of voters in Georgia they they want climate change public policy. Well, yeah, because you over sampled academic elitist in this in the state. Um, nonetheless, um, so the governor wants to to go big or go home, which suggests to me Doug Collins may not be the pick. Um, I, I suspect a lot of people in the White House would love to have Doug Collins, but there's a thinking among a lot of people who are familiar with the governor's thinking uh, that he thinks very highly of Doug Collins, but he also thinks that we need to be expanding the base in Georgia. And the polling from the AJC, no matter how bad it is, shows that there are clear trend lines in the state of the governor making good inroads with the black community, the Hispanic community. And there are plenty of good Hispanic uh, conservatives out there who support the president's agenda, even on immigration. And uh, we we have the opportunity to expand that base. Um, that the governor, by bringing a diverse pick uh, who is fundamentally conservative, uh, expands the conservative playing field and gives us uh, padding around the edges uh, to make the state more Republican. And I, I think there's merit to Listen, I'm partial. You should know. I'm biased. A friend of mine put his hat in the ring, um, Jason Enavitarte. He is on the uh, Paulding County Board of Lecture. Uh, I'm sorry, Board of Education. And uh, very active in the Hispanic community, very active with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, very solidly a Republican, a very good guy, principally pro-life, principally conservative, principally in favor of free markets. And I think a pick like that, whether it's him or, or someone else, I, I think shakes the dynamics up and makes it more difficult for the Democrats. The Democrats are waiting for the governor to pick someone so that they can go out and pick someone and try to have a, a one-on-one race. And the governor understands this, and picking someone who completely discombobulates the Democrats is probably the way to go. And um, that would be a good thing. Shake up the race. But we'll see. Uh, the polling is closed. Now, it, let, let me mention this AJC polling because I'm seeing them do this. It's my pet peeve with the media, and I don't mean disrespect to the AJC. And full disclosure here, uh, my evening show, the parent company of, of the radio station that I'm on in Atlanta, uh, that employs me and pays me. I don't make money off this show yet. We'll get some advertisers eventually, uh, but I'm funding this one out of my own pocket. That shows what pays the bills, and it's owned by Cox, and Cox also owns the AJC. My flagship station in, in Athens is a, a Cox Media Group station. Um, and, but the AJC, God bless them, they're, they're falling into my pet peeve. And that is they're conducting a poll and then they're doing news stories based on their own polling. And their own polling turns out to be deeply flawed. And so they're generating a bunch of voters in Georgia want stories when, no, you oversampled and undersampled badly. 
And so it's not what voters in Georgia want. It's what the people who took your poll want. And I think that's cheap journalism. And, and again, I don't mean to to disparage the AJC, which is owned by the parent company that that controls my life. Uh, there are good people at the AJC, but I have routine criticisms of the media when they do this. They take a poll, no matter how badly sampled the poll is. They then spend a week doing news stories based on their badly sampled poll. And I can tell you the AJC polling was badly sampled. And the reason I can tell you that is because they sampled about 26% of people in the poll had college or were had graduate studies. And Georgia, only 10% of the people in the state have graduate studies. Uh, they Only 41% of the people in their poll voted for President Trump in 2016 when he actually garnered 50% of the polling in Georgia. And even some of the columnists at the AJC are, are suggesting rather openly on social media, in fact, that their polling sample was a bit off. And so to see story after story after story based on a polling sample that even some of their own reporters and pundits are acknowledging is somewhat off, I, I think just it's it's what the media does and it's what I wish they wouldn't do. But there is information we can garner even from that sample and we should consider that information, which we will do when we come back. Y'all, I got a sponsor this week. I am so excited about it. I've actually been waiting for this news um, because I'm a subscriber uh, to their English uh, publication. Uh, the Spectator is coming to the United States. The Spectator is uh, the longest running magazine in the English language. It's been published in the UK since... Gosh, it's like 190, 191 years, and now it's getting ready. It's going to do an American edition. It's launching, uh, well, it started, I guess, last month in print. It's going to be delivered monthly. The U.S. edition is going to be just like the U.K. magazine. If you know anything about The Spectator, it's brilliant. It's fearless, uh, very honest, and very conservative. Doesn't mince words when it comes to conservatism, and it's just it's tremendous. I highly, highly encourage you uh, to get it. It's going to have Christopher Buckley, P.J. Rourke, uh, Christopher Caldwell, uh, Toby Young, uh, Roger Scruton, so many more. You'll get British humor as well, which I grew up with overseas. I am a huge fan of The Spectator, literally. I'm not just saying this because they're a sponsor. I didn't even know they were going to sponsor. I'm so excited. I love The Spectator. Uh, you can check it out. Go to spectator.us slash subscribe. That's spectator.us slash subscribe. And then use offer code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You'll get a free trial. Do it. You will love the spectator. It is so great to finally have their voice here in the United States. It is the final hour of the show. I am highly caffeinated. We will see what happens this hour. Oh, sleep-deprived and highly caffeinated, a terrible combination. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, them's the numbers if you want to call in. Uh, yesterday, last evening, I sat down with Congressman Jody Heiss to discuss with him the impeachment situation. He was an observer yesterday. I wanted to bring you guys... Uh, my interview with Congressman Heiss. Also, keep his family in your prayers, please. Uh, his father has passed away, and um, he just—it's it, uh, there have been a couple of deaths in his family, and he's such a good guy. Uh, his whole family—they're just tremendous people. I, I feel for him right now, uh, and just keep them in your prayers, please. And here now, Congressman Jody Heiss. We need to move back to impeachment. A lot happened today. One of the people who was witnessing it all is Congressman Jody Heiss, who's joining me. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Good to talk to you. So uh, what did you think about today? 
Uh, listen, it's uh, basically just a whole lot more of the same old, same old. I mean, we've been watching for two months now, Adam Schiff really bringing in what appeared to be an audition of witnesses who are going to be folks that he thought could uh, be effective in testifying against the president, and he brought his star witnesses out today, and I don't believe they moved the needle at all. I mean, well, it's, you uh, know, I want to ask you about that. Third, fourth-hand information. They, it seems like the, the Democrats have to persuade uh, not just voters, but Republicans, and they haven't done that. And I, I listened to Taylor's testimony today, and I do have concerns about what the president did, but Taylor's big complaint seemed to be that the president was shifting public policy in a way that he didn't like. Yeah, it's a, po- uh, it's a policy issue, and you don't impeach a policy uh, a president because you don't like its policy. Uh, but you're exactly right. What the Democrats had to do, have to do, is to provide evidence of the accusations that they're bringing, and that's what they lack. If you want to see what happened, you need look no further than the transcript itself. Uh, And you see in the transcript, there was no quid pro quo, there was no pressure, and President Zelensky on multiple occasions now has testified to that as well. In fact, they didn't even realize there was money being held up. How do you have a quid pro quo when the folks on the other end are not even aware that money is being withheld uh, temporarily and and the democrats have to prove otherwise and they're nowhere close to doing that in fact one of the highlights to me eric that that came out today when uh, i believe it was uh ratcliffe from texas asked them specifically what is the impeachable offense Mm -hmm. and neither one of them could answer i mean it's just stone silence right well you know i'm just again I'm, i'm struck by this situation still with Adam Schiff and the whistleblower, where he said today that he didn't know who the whistleblower is, and yet we he's admitted the whistleblower right. coordinated with his office. Yeah, there's no question he knows who the whistleblower is. And, yeah, that's another huge problem. I mean, if we really want to get to the truth of this, which the American uh, people deserve, then we need to hear from the whistleblower. Remember, it was Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi who were the ones out front. They were the only two... Uh, out in front of every camera, every radio, everything, saying we're going to hear from the whistleblower, and this thing's just going to uh, take off until we discover that Adam Schiff and his staff are coordinating with the whistleblower in all of this, and now uh, they not they won't dare bring the whistleblower forward. And it's not because Adam Schiff is interested in protecting the whistleblower. He's interested in protecting his own hide, from what's going to come about when the American people see uh, just how they were coordinating with this individual to begin with. So, Congressman, I'm I'm in the camp that the whistleblower statute does not apply to the president of the United States and blowing the whistle on the president, particularly when there's a policy dispute at large. Uh, I, I have a philosophical concern. Uh, given that the the whistleblowers from the intelligence community, that I don't think members of the intelligence community should be trying to end a presidency uh, through a whisper campaign or behind closed doors. That if 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 they're gonna if they're gonna go after the king, do it publicly because the president needs to be able to trust the people who give him advice. And I think we've seen systematically between anonymous and his op-ed and now his book and this situation uh, that if if the president's doing things in foreign policy people don't like and he's going through Rudy Giuliani instead of the standard process well he's got a reason to do it because it's very clear there are Obama holdovers who are still out to get him 
Absolutely, that's a great point. And I'll tell you where I think it's important for us to even take that point one step further, and that is to understand that the whistleblower protections that are law now uh, are about protecting the whistleblower from being fired. They protect the whistleblower from experiencing retaliation. There is nothing that protects a whistleblower from anonymity, from testifying, particularly, as you say, when they come forward with with uh, an accusation against the president for the purpose of impeachment. And we know this whistleblower has biasness against the president to begin with. So uh, it's important that we understand that whistleblower protections do not provide anonymity. They just pr- pr- protect a whistleblower from being fired or experiencing retaliation. I, I, I just... <sighs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to beat a dead horse with you here, because because I, I did an entire show almost on this point yesterday. That I I have a philosophical problem for the long term with the presidency when career civil servants use their position to try to undermine a presidency. And let, let's remove President Trump out of this equation. Let's worst case scenario for the country. You have an Elizabeth Warren as president. I have a real problem fundamentally with a bureaucrat, particularly in intelligence or federal law enforcement, leaking information to a Republican chairman of a committee to try to help build a case to oust that president because the president's got to be able to trust these people and can't if he thinks that behind him someone is going to try to undermine everything he does. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, that's a, a large argument among many up here. Eric, that uh, that they argue the same thing, that there is no uh, protection of any kind for a whistleblower in the intel community. Uh, there's no standing even for a whistleblower uh, or an individual in the intel community to make an accusation against the president for the very reasons that you bring forth. So there, there are a lot of problems with this, a lot of gaping holes and it's it's for that reason that I think we need to know who this whistleblower is, not only to deal with the issue at hand now, but to prevent this type of thing from occurring in the future from someone who, in this case, the whistleblower we know has a bias against the president. We also know that they don't like his policies, so they're going to try to impeach him, and yet we're supposed to somehow not know who this individual right. is and to allow them uh, intel community to go after the president is just wrong. Now, last question for you is, as we're out of time, what do you see moving forward with the process? Well, we're going to have some more hearings. Uh, uh, we've got some scheduled for uh, Friday, as I understand right now. We also have next week is going to be filled with them again. So the Democrats are going to continue pushing this. I frankly don't see it going anywhere. It's all political theater. Um, uh, and again, the Democrats have to produce evidence, and they're not doing any of that, not anywhere close. In fact, the further we go with this, uh, the, the, the more gaping holes are revealed. We weren't 20 minutes into it today, and we all watched Schiff start changing the rules, even of what can be asked. He, he sees himself as the prosecutor, as the jury, as the counsel to the witness. Uh, all of this stuff, I mean, it is the right. Schiff show, and I think the American people are going to see through it. Yeah, they are. Well, listen, thank you very much for stopping by, and God bless you for having to put up with it, because I wouldn't want to. (laughs) Congressman Jody Heiss. That was Congressman Jody Heiss. Uh, Joined me yesterday, and... Yeah, y'all. So I'm I'm writing my syndicated call. Maybe I should should just sit here and and read to you my column. I can proofread it. I can kill two birds with one stone. (laughs) Here we go. 
Impeachment is not a coup. Republicans have seized on the stupidest talking point to come out of one of the stupidest ages in American politics. Impeachment is a constitutional process the Democrats have every right to start. But the Senate Republicans have every right to reject this as partisan gamesmanship, too. Impeachment's not a coup. It's political. Republicans should treat it as political, and so should you. You'll have to excuse me if I'm not in favor of throwing the president out of office over a phone call that amounted to nothing. A year ago, I would have taken it more seriously, but we're less than a year from the election. Democrats are not making an effort to persuade they're making a political show coordinated with the whistleblower and egged on by an american media that's been demanding impeachment since the president's inauguration i got a hard time trusting the media to give a fair analysis on the subject as a nation we've collectively watched respected journalists lose their mind over the past three years because donald trump broke them Firing Comey was going to end him. Bob Mueller was going to end him. The cabinet was going to exercise the 25th Amendment. The GOP would stand up to him. There would be one magic silver bullet that's orange man bad. Democrats have joined in with the media. Democratic holdovers from the Obama administration have ruthlessly leaked to try to undermine the president's agenda. Federal judges have had to continually be rebuked by the Supreme Court for unconstitutionally enjoining parts of the president's agenda. They've convinced themselves Russia stole the election, the president's illegitimate, so all attacks are fair game. Why should anyone take the impeachment process seriously when the process is led by these people and pontificated on by press, both of which have had a multi-year agenda already to end this presidency? Concurrently, though, why should we have any faith the president uh, won't do this again? Any president asking the foreign government to investigate a political rival is devastating for the integrity of our Republican processes. It does appear the president did this. It does appear the president sought help to undermine Joe Biden. He didn't care about the issue until Joe Biden became a Democratic presidential contender. Claiming Democrats did it to Trump with the Steele dossier doesn't excuse the president's behavior. What would a second term of this president look like when he no longer had to worry about voter accountability? But it is worth noting that no investigation happened. Ukraine got its money. The president was not benefited, even if he tried. Of all the behavior about which the Democrats could have probed the president, including the issue of steering business to his properties, they chose to build their entire impeachment inquiry over a single phone call that got the president nothing. The media nods along. Everyone who's smart, sophisticated, and concerned about the Constitution is supposed to nod along knowingly with furrowed eyebrows. But we're going to take out a president through impeachment over a single phone call that got him nothing. Even Bill Clinton was impeached for more than that. He lied under oath to harm the interests of an American citizen before a court of law. Yeah, the president's behavior was wrong. And I think we should concede the president's behavior was wrong. But we should also keep in mind he's behaved in this way because it's very clear Democrats have been trying to sabotage him since before he even got into office. The whistleblower himself is purported to be a partisan progressive activist. We know for certain he coordinated with Congressman Adam Schiff's office. We know Anonymous was or maybe still is embedded within the Trump White House working to undermine the president. We know from Anonymous other people are doing it as well, many of them holdovers from the Obama administration. We know from the Democrats' impeachment witnesses they're not just concerned about a quid pro quo. They're actually vehemently upset with the president for charting a new course in foreign policy, which is his right to do as president of the United States. So it's natural and understandable the president decided he had to rely on idiots like Rudy Giuliani to help steer foreign policy because he couldn't trust the people around him. No one's going to change their mind on this. The Democrats are making no effort to persuade people to change their mind.
So instead of this impeachment process, which is a political process, maybe we should engage in another political process to remedy the situation. It's called elections. They matter. Let's wait and have one. There's one scheduled, as a matter of fact, in November, less than a year from now. We can settle this issue. Let the Democrats have their fishing expedition, find what they want, make campaign commercials about it, let the voters decide. There's a problem, though. Even with all of Orange Man bad problems, will the voters side with a party that wants to shut down their churches, take their guns away, in tax-exempt status for their nonprofit religious schools, wants to undermine their ability to be successful in the American economy, wants to punish them for being successful, wants to take away their health care plans. Well, will the American people decide orange man bad, but he's better than them? The Democrats behave like they think that's exactly what the voters will do. And that's not a problem for Donald Trump. That's a problem for the Democrats. And as much as they think the president is undermining our democracy and our subverting our constitution, The Democrats themselves want to undermine the voting public because they believe their elite know better than the average voter. All right. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Happy to take your phone calls. The opposition research on Mike Bloomberg has begun. You know, billionaire's bad. Where's the audio? I got got the audio here. Elizabeth Warren, she she is making a play to take out the billionaires of America, and Bloomberg's one of them, and so he's bad. When I've been talking about how we can make this country work better, not just for those at the top, I've noticed that billionaires go on TV and cry. Uh, Other billionaires encourage their billionaire buddies to jump into the race. I believe that what our election should be about is grassroots, how you build something all across New Hampshire, all across the country, and that we really shouldn't have elections that are about billionaires calling all the shots, whether they're reaching in their pockets to fund their own elections or whether they're counting on uh, uh, getting other people to run. Um, For me, that's what's fun about being here right now on the ground in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billionaire's bad. Well, I'm suspecting that Elizabeth Warren dropped this opposition research on Mike Bloomberg. Headline, Michael Bloomberg has a history of demeaning comments about women. Subtitle, as he prepares a presidential run, Mr. Bloomberg's crude remarks are likely to draw scrutiny. His team issued a statement saying some of them were disrespectful and wrong. It is written by Michael Grinbaum of the New York Times. It was a cheeky birthday gift from a hard-charging boss, a 32-page book of one-liners compiled by colleagues at his company. The portable Bloomberg, the wit and wisdom of Michael Bloomberg, presented in 1990 to the future mayor of New York City, even featured drawings of its namesake in gladiatorial barb. One remark attributed to Mr. Bloomberg went like this. If women wanted to be appreciated for their brains, they'd go to the library instead of Bloomingdale's. <gasps> Another line, purportedly Mr. Bloomberg's sales pitch to his eponymous computer terminal said the machine will do everything, including oral sex, although a cruder cruder term was used. I guess Mr. Bloomberg was quoted as saying, that puts a lot of you girls out of business. When the pamphlet resurfaced during Bloomberg's 2001 mayoral run, he dismissed the comments as borscht 
belt jokes and said he did not recall saying them. The storyline receded after the 9-11 terror attacks and Mr. Bloomberg went on to win election three times over. But the comments revealed a cruder side of Mr. Bloomberg, now 77. Oh, here we go. Um, This is this is this is (laughs) let's get into the big stuff. In 2012, the mayor, while admiring a woman at a party, urged two guests to look at the, well, I'm not going to say the word on her, um, the the, the AWS. Just last year, he cast doubts on the harassment allegations of Charlie Bloomberg, saying, I don't know how true all of this is. Oh, how terrible. Um, He's done all sorts of things. He's loath to admit his fault. And, well, there's where, where's the... Where's the lawsuit? Where's the lawsuit? Come on, where's the lawsuit? They, they want to make sure everybody knows he's surrounded with women. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the paragraph I was looking for. Are you ready for this? One lawsuit filed in 1997 accused Mr. Bloomberg of reacting poorly upon learning that an employee was pregnant. The employee alleged Mr. Bloomberg told her, kill it, referring to her baby before grumbling about the number of pregnant women at his company. Mr. Bloomberg denied making the remark. The case was settled with no admission of guilt. In 2001, Mr. Bloomberg's staff said he passed a polygraph test concerning the comment. The results were not released. A class action lawsuit filed in 2007 alleged a pattern of discrimination at the company against pregnant employees and new mothers. It was dismissed by a federal judge for lack of evidence. Mr. Bloomberg, who once described his dating life as a divorced billionaire as a quote-unquote wet dream, was married for 18 years to Susan Brown, with whom he had two daughters. He has dated his current companion, Diane Taylor, since 2000. Some friends and colleagues of Mr. Bloomberg say his crude language developed during his upbringing in the 1950s, his college fraternity days at Johns Hopkins, and the 1970s machismo of the investment banking community, which was dominated by men. Generational differences, however, can be politically perilous. Oh, my goodness gracious. In a 1998 deposition, Bloomberg was asked about his threshold for believing a rape allegation. He says, I guess an unimpeachable third-party witness. Oh. <gasps> Man, they're going to, in the Me Too era, they are going to tear up Mike Bloomberg for this. They're going to make him the Democrat Donald Trump that the Democrats have to stand up to. They are, You notice they didn't do this to Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, who has poured money into Democratic causes, they never did it to him. But they are coming out against Mike Bloomberg with reckless abandon because they feel threatened by Mike Bloomberg. And he doesn't have a chance. He's just helping Joe Biden. But what about Deval Patrick? We'll get into that when we come back. I didn't want to go back to this, but I'm afraid I have to. Nancy Pelosi has spoken. Fair warning. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, sorry, that clip is bad. Let me let me go get the the other one. She says Trump has uh essentially engaged in bribery this is the new talking point that it's it's bribery uh that it is um it's it's bad um here we go this is the clip that i was looking for again nancy pelosi speaking just a short time ago american people the American people understand that. People yes, ma'am. You talked about bribery a second ago. Yes, a bribery. That's a very serious charge. It's what in the Constitution. Well, you know, uh, we talking Latin around here. Eplorbus unum from anyone, from anyone. 
quid pro quo, bribery. Bribery. And that is in the Constitution attached to the impeachment proceedings. So what was the bribe here? The bribe is to grant or withhold military assistance in return for a public statement of a, uh, of a fake investigation into uh, the, the elections. So could that's we be looking a, that's at, bribery. Yes. Could we be looking at an article of impeachment? Well, I don't know about that. We don't even haven't even made a decision to impeach. That's what the inquiry is about. Oh, whatever. And when the, the committees decide that, and they will decide what the articles are. But I am saying uh, that what is uh, the president has admitted to and says it's perfect. I said it's perfectly wrong. It's bribery. You believe that? Talked in the past about the importance of the public. Uh, wait. Congress appropriated the money. Congress did. So wait, 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 wait. The president's going to be impeached for giving Ukraine money that Congress appropriated. I mean, that that's what she's saying, that that was the military assistance. It was the funding by Congress. That's crazy. I salute Chairman Schiff uh, for the dignity and the statesmanship that he brought and the members of the Intelligence Committee, the Democrats, uh, for uh, the showing great patriotism and professionalism with which they are conducting the proceedings. I'm very proud of them. I said to the members at the beginning of the day yesterday, when we take the oath to protect and defend the Constitution, we agree and we become custodians of the Constitution. The Constitution, the brilliance of our founders to create a republic, a system of checks and balances, three co-equal branches of government, separation of powers, each a check and balance on the other. As custodians of the Constitution, we must be defenders of our democracy, because our democracy depends on that republic and not a monarchy. Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. So again, with that responsibility, we go forward sadly, prayerfully, say with a heavy heart, because it's not what we came here to do. But we must uphold our oath of office. This is this is stagecraft. Does anybody believe that it's with a heavy heart that we impeach the blankety blank we've said the whole time we wanted to impeach? It's not what we came here to do, even though we ran ads saying we would. This is do see this is this is the problem. This is the problem. That's designed to play to the press and the Democratic base. It's not to design to play to anyone else. Meanwhile, they got a problem. The Deval Patrick has decided to join the race. You may not know who Deval Patrick is, but the Democrats do. He was the first black, uh, second black governor in the nation, first black governor of Massachusetts, and a very liberal. Uh, he inspired Barack Obama, among others. He's going to run. Hi, everyone. I'm Deval Patrick. I used to be governor of Massachusetts, but that's not where I started. He's got a squeaky voice. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I lived uh, there with my grandparents. My it's like Obama. I grew up in Chicago. I'm Obama. And sister in our grandparents' two-bedroom tenement, some of that time on welfare. I went to big, broken, overcrowded public schools. And still, my grandmother used to tell us we were not poor, just broke. Because broke, she said, is temporary. Through the love and support of family, great teachers, Adults in the neighborhood and in church, I learned to look up, not down. To 
can I just pause this momentarily and say the the background music is obnoxious? Uh, do better. For the best and work for it. I was the first in my family to go to college and law school and have had a chance to work in government, in nonprofits, and in business. I've had a chance to live my American dream. But over the years, I've seen the path to that dream gradually closing off bit by bit. The anxiety and even anger that I saw in my neighbors on the south side, the sense that the government and the economy were letting us down, were no longer about us, is what folks feel all over America today in all kinds of communities. I admire and respect the candidates in the democratic field. They bring a richness of ideas and experience and a depth of character that makes me proud to be a Democrat. But if the character of the candidates is an issue in every election, this time is about the character of the country. This time is about whether the day after the election, America will keep her promises. This time is about more than removing an unpopular and divisive leader, as important as that is, but about delivering instead for you. So in a spirit of profound gratitude for all the country has given to me, and with the determination to build a better, more sustainable, more inclusive American dream for the next generation, I am today announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Come be a part of this. We will build as we climb to welcome other teachers and learners, other seekers of a better way and builders of a better future. This won't be easy, and it shouldn't be. But I'm placing my faith in the people who feel left out and left back, who just want a fair shot at a better future, not built by somebody better than you, not built for you, but built with you. Now let's get started. Thank you. That that music bothers me. Whoever picked that out, whichever consultant decided to pick that music out should be fired. It, it sounds like a 1990s PowerPoint video presentation. I mean that that that's something you you go on and you get let's get generic let's get generic inoffensive background music thing that just repeats on a loop. I had no idea his voice was that squeaky. Uh, this is the guy the Democrats are going to put up. You know we we've had this now for a couple of days. Oh, we're going to have someone else get in. We're we're going to be exciting. We're we're going to have more people. More people get in. We're going to have a real patriot get in. We're going to have a uniter, not a divider. And it turns out Deval Patrick. That's the guy we're waiting for. Yeah, I don't. I I I, I have a hard time believing that. I don't know that he's going to get traction. He is going to run in New Hampshire, which is going to be very interesting because he's the governor of Massachusetts. And so now he's running against uh, Elizabeth Warren, who is from Massachusetts. We're going to have a big clash there about Elizabeth Warren, I suspect, uh, and the popularity of Elizabeth Warren. It's only a matter of time before he is undoubtedly accused of sexism for running. It's going to be brutal. But if I can expand on this a little bit, the Democrats really were expecting Biden to come in and clean up, and he's not. Uh, and they're deeply, deeply, deeply worried about Elizabeth Warren. They're they're deeply, deeply, deeply worried that Elizabeth Warren 
uh, is gaining traction and gaining ground. And they got to stop Elizabeth Warren. The entirety of the Democratic Party right now is mobilized not to stop Donald Trump, but to stop Elizabeth Warren. And that's pretty impressive. Now, meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Joe Biden is out on the campaign trail. And the Democrats in, in the Senate are facing the reality of a Mitch McConnell-organized Senate impeachment trial that will be designed to force them to stay in Washington, D.C. In fact, there's a story in the Washington Post, uh, Robert Costa in the Washington Post headline, Republicans discuss a longer Senate impeachment trial to scramble Democratic primaries. Some Republican senators and their advisors are privately discussing whether to pressure GOP leaders to stage a lengthy impeachment trial beginning in January to scramble the Democratic presidential race, potentially keeping six contenders in Washington until the eve of the Iowa caucuses or longer. Those conversations about the timing and framework for a trial remain fluid and closely held, according to more than a dozen participants in the discussions. But the deliberations come as Mitch McConnell faces pressure from conservative activists to swat back at Democrats as public impeachment hearings begin this week in the House. The discussions raise a potential hazard for six Democratic senators running for president who have previously planned a final sprint out of Washington before the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. That might be a strategy, said Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin with a smile when asked about the Democratic campaigns. I'll leave that up to others. John Cornyn said the Senate would try to distinguish itself during impeachment by doing this right with a trial that probably lasts five or six weeks. He acknowledged the timing could have an effect on the campaign. Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden might like this, Cornyn said. Who uh, Buttigieg, by the way, is now polling ahead of Elizabeth Warren in Iowa. There's an emerging divide among Republicans, however, over timing. Some Republicans favor a lengthy trial as a means of defending the president, creating problems for the Democrats. Others want swift dismissal or a final vote. The Democratic senators who remain in the presidential race have all said publicly that the impeachment proceedings are more important than political concerns. But advisors to multiple candidates have been inquiring about the potential timing, and Sanders has spoken about the potential challenges of an extended trial if the Democrat-controlled House votes to impeach Trump and sends the case to the Senate. We'll do our best to get back to Iowa and get to New Hampshire and get to all the states we have to, but there's no question it'll make our lives more difficult. Warren said she has constitutional responsibilities if the House goes forward and sends impeachment over. I'll be there for the trial. Well, she'll have to be or she'll be arrested. Did you know that? The senators will be arrested if they try to skip out on the impeachment trial. They'll be arrested if they try to speak during the impeachment trial. That's in the rules. That's in the pre-existing rules. If they try to speak, they'll be arrested. Now, one top advisor to a senator who spoke on discussion uh, on condition of anonymity said the campaign was already rearranging fundraising to prepare for a trial. We've all but been told January is when we should expect to not to have them, and that in December is when we should expect to have them. The issue of trial length came up in a closed-door meeting of Republicans when they speculated on whether the House would hand over the process to them before or after Christmas. McConnell had little guidance outside of saying the trial would go on as long as the Senate wants it to run. McConnell's deputies believe a longer trial is the likelier outcome. Cocaine Mitch is going to sabotage him. Senator Burr speculated publicly a Senate trial could run up to eight weeks. He argued during lunch that Bill Clinton's impeachment proceedings took five weeks, but Trump's case is more likely to take more time because he's not admitted any wrongdoing. Clinton admitted he lied to the FBI. 
you know, this is really funny. I mean, the, the, this is again is why we should let the voters deal with this at the ballot box because uh, the, the entire thing is a political process. And if the Democrats are going to politicize it in the House of Representatives, the Republicans have every right to politicize it in the United States Senate. Uh, I, I, someone actually sent me an email this morning, and I, and I, I apologize. Uh, forgive me. I can't remember your name. Um, I, I can't find I got so many emails. Somebody from Rome uh, sent me an email and said, how can you believe that the Senate won't treat this honorably? Uh, and distinguish themselves as opposed to the House. Well, I think they'll try, but you got to remember 10 Democratic senators have already come out and said the president should be impeached, and five of them have been fundraising off impeachment, including several of the ones running for president. So, I mean, you've already got a bunch of Democrats out there saying, yes, this is impeachable and the president needs to go. So, I mean, this trial is just going to be for a bunch of senators to sit there with their minds already made up, much like the country. I mean, of all the polling right now shows nobody's being persuaded one way or the other. Uh, and we're, we're just we're moving forward with people's minds already made up and no bipartisanship. Again, here's Wolf Blitzer. A big difference between then during the Nixon impeachment process and even the Bill Clinton impeachment process and now is that at that time you had bipartisan support for this kind of inquiry to begin. Uh, right now, you don't have any bipartisan it support. Was- you just have Democrats. All the Republicans voted against beginning this Exactly. Over to you, Ed Henry. I'm hearing a much different story from the Hill. I've been working the phones, talked to three different senior Republicans, all said that after the first hearing in the hallways, they're having private conversations with Democrats who seemed absolutely deflated that they did not get very far at all today. Uh, listen to what the Washington Post is reported. Look at that. A Democratic aide telling the Post, quote, we're screwed this week on hearings. No bombshells, no revelations. The onus is on us to wow some people this week. Now, to be sure, Democrats are insisting that they're happy they got Bill Taylor to reveal some new information today, but even his big reveal that one of his aides overheard a phone conversation in which President Trump was allegedly more personally involved in making sure there were investigations in exchange for aid, even that was third hand. Taylor being told by an aide who overheard a phone call at a restaurant. So Democrats deflated by a whole series of events. Jim Jordan declaring all of this is third, fourth hand information. Six people having four different conversations. At one point, Jordan said he's seen church prayer chains that are easier to understand than this narrative. Republican John Ratcliffe pressing the star witnesses, both Bill Taylor and George Kent. Did you see anything impeachable? didn't have anything. Adam Schiff, again on defense today on whether or not he knows who the whistleblower is. He insists he doesn't, even though we've been led to believe that at least his staff talked to the whistleblower. And finally, George Kent, who you've been talking about, went on camera with his concerns that he raised conflict of interest questions way back in 2015 about Hunter Biden raking in over 80,000 bucks a month from Burisma while his father was overseeing Ukrainian policy. Jim Jordan at one point was asking, well, did Hunter Biden speak Ukrainian? The witnesses say no. Another point, he says, was he hired for his expertise on corporate governance? Of course, no. So, Laura, there were a lot of problems today for the Democratic narrative. That's why Republicans might tonight be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah, and of course, if you listen to any of the other networks out there, they tell you, oh, no, it was a terrible, damaging, deadly, awful day for the president of the United States. I'll pass along that tip. All right, thanks very much. Back now with our uh, our political uh, and and legal team. I I just need to make a point on what you said, because it's just... 
It's not correct. He said that the Republicans are out there saying that it was a failed quid pro quo. That's not what they were arguing. They say it wasn't a quid pro quo at all, because to have a quid pro quo, the person has to know that something's being threatened in exchange for something else. And what Republicans were saying is the Ukrainians never knew that the aid but, but was we being know, withheld but we know for that, that reason. We know they so didn't that, know. It's not an attempted right. How about that's attempted bribery? That's not true. That's not true. Rick, How about that's attempted bribery? It's not an attempt if the other side doesn't know that there's a But that's not true. All the reporting now, go ahead. We've known that they've known. Yeah, except that's not actually the case, is it? Um, we know Bill Taylor said yesterday that he thought they might have known, but not that they actually knew. There was actually no confirmation for sure that that's the case. So again, the Democrats haven't persuaded anyone new. If this is just for the Democrats, settle it at the ballot box. Don't settle it in impeachment. Impeachment should matter for more than a single phone call. Jeff Sessions has just come out with a new ad in Alabama. The president has said he will not uh, interfere with Sessions' campaign in Alabama. Here's the Sessions video in Alabama. I am pleased to endorse Donald Trump for the presidency of the United States. You know, out of the 100 United States senators, I was the very first one to stand with Donald Trump. While the others were hiding under their desk, I went to work. I knew he was the one to make America great again, and I'll keep fighting for President Trump and his agenda. He's putting on a MAGA hat. Jeff Sessions, I approve this ad. There you go. Jeff Sessions putting on a MAGA hat. Uh, <laughs> just a few weeks ago, the president was saying it'd be a terrible idea for him to run. He was fired like a dog. And now the president's saying he'll he'll stay out of Sessions' way and, and let Sessions try to run for office. I, I, the odds are Sessions is going to be the nominee. Um, uh, my friend Arnold Mooney is running for the Senate. Um, but I'm thinking that uh, people are going to start clearing out of the way for Sessions to get back to the Senate and take on Doug Jones. Uh, we will see. You know, in, in completely unrelated news to everything, gun sales are skyrocketing in the country, even with uh, our present political situation with the president in charge. Uh, people are suddenly starting to worry that the Democrats may get back more power, possibly the White House. And so gun sales, particularly gun sales of AR-15s, are skyrocketing skyrocketing <sighs> wow you know i'm actually i'm fascinated by this because you can get a real snapshot of people's minds and how things work uh when they rush out and start buying guns anytime there's a big big uh mass shooting people rush out and start buying guns convince the government any day now is going to ban them uh, i need to go buy more ar-15s quite honestly uh i i we've got two i need more uh i, I need more long barrel guns uh i need more handguns everybody should have more guns and ammo uh, I need to find more gun stores in Georgia to go to. At, at, at some point, maybe we should do a like a live listener show. and <laughs> I, I could do the whole broadcast at the gun store. We go to the gun range, shoot guns on commercial break. I think that would be fun. You know, on, on the other show, I had this idea of we would go out and, and shoot guns and, and have a few beers. And the lawyers at the office were like, no, you can't do that, you idiot. I thought it would be awesome. There's a place in McDonough, uh, Quiet Riot Firearms, and they specialize in, in automatic guns, uh, machine guns and the like. And 
I got to be. I got to do a live broadcast this evening in McDonough at Kirby G's. If you've ever been there, great hamburgers. Um, but I, I I need to go by Quiet Riot uh, and try out their guns. That's a fantastic gun shop. Um, but you know Barrow in in Butler is still my favorite gun store outside of Shot Spot in Carrollton. And I the crowds I've been told that they have been crowded lately. Uh, a lot of people going in buying ARs and other things. Convinced the Democrats are going to do something. Convince the president or something to take people's guns. Oh, well, I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great evening or have rest of the day.